Hello dear friends, welcome to Mindfulness for Beginners. I hope you're happy, I hope you're peaceful. It's a pleasure to practice with you again. Today's episode will be a conversation that I had with Dr. Laurie Bauer, who is a friend of mine from York. She co-founded the York Sangha. The Sangha is a, a community of people of practice or a mindfulness group, if you like. Uh, Laurie has been teaching mindfulness uh, for many, many years. She's a wonderful teacher, and I personally have learned a great deal from her. She completed her PhD in mindfulness and engaged Buddhism in 2014. And since 2016, she's been teaching a course called Be Calm, Be Happy, uh, the link to which is in the description. Uh, I've been on it. I would absolutely recommend it to anyone. It's a great way to, to kickstart your practice. She also created the uh, Creative Space, uh, which is a business that offers mindfulness and creativity workshops. And the link to that's also in the description. And we met up at a retreat recently. And when we sat down to chat, I asked her how she got started in the practice. Well, I got into meditation first. Uh, Mindfulness came second. Accidentally when I was 14, um, I joined Sheffield Youth Theatre because I loved acting. And what I didn't know was the director meditated and she used to give us what we thought were drama exercises that were basically about being still, being present, being in the moment. Um, So when I then went, when I was 19, I went to the philosophy school that she was meditating with and the first session we did this exercise on being present and being still feeling your feet on the floor feeling your body on the chair and it was so familiar to me because I've been doing it for years as, as a drama exercise um, so it it felt like I kind of fell into it um, And so I I stayed with the philosophy school for a long time. I learned to meditate with them. And that was quite a different meditation to uh, mindfulness. It's a mantra-based meditation. So you go through this little ceremony where you're given a mantra to practice with. Um, And it's transcendental meditation. So the idea is you're kind of leaving behind everything to do with the world and your body and going into another space and it was quite difficult actually Um, but I stuck with it for a long time so I brought my children up in that tradition and that was very supportive actually and then um, about 2006-ish I started reading Thich Nhat Hanh's books and the first one I read was Touching Peace and it just felt like something really fell into place at that point because what he was saying really accorded with what I understood about meditation. Um, I, I, I didn't use the word mindfulness and, uh, up till that point, uh, but I kind of knew that's what I'd been practicing. And, um, but his teaching seemed much more simple um, and also more heart-based. So they really, it felt like they really accorded with mm. um, what I what I wanted, what I was looking for, um, and then ironically, my first sort of step into it was 
as a researcher. So I chose to do a PhD on Thich Nhat Hanh, um, looking at the relationship between mindfulness and engaged Buddhism. And the first time I went to Plum Village in 2009, I went as a researcher uh, and interviewed lots of people that were on the retreat with me. And you went native. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, and you know, on, on a week's retreat, there's quite a lot of emphasis about finding a sangha, finding a community to practice with, having that support. So I came away from the first week knowing I needed to find a sangha. And I found one initially in Leeds that met once a month, which was lovely, but for me it wasn't enough. I wanted a weekly one. And then I, Thich Nhat Hanh came to Nottingham in 2010. I went on that retreat and met um, some of the people who then started the York Sangha. So there were a whole group of us. We literally um, had the retreat in August decided that we would meet in Sue's house um, the following week to talk about starting a Sangha. Somebody proposed some beads um, as a meeting place. And the following week we started meeting and we've been meeting there ever since. So that's nearly 10 years ago. And that's, that's where I met you because I, I moved up to York from London, not knowing a single person uh, in, in the town. And, and I was already practicing with, um, with Wake Up uh, London. But the thing that I found and the, the Sangha that you and other people founded there was it was such an incredibly welcoming place to come to. And for somebody who was, you know, moving onto a town and not knowing anybody and actually going through quite a difficult, uh, difficult time in my life. That was just such an incredible thing to have. And one of the things I wanted to emphasize to the, the, the people listening to the podcast is, is how helpful and supportive and important it is to practice with other, other people as well. And York, uh, you know, I'm certainly gosh again, but the, the, the York Sangha was just such a fantastic group of people to join uh, and to learn, actually learn to practice as well. Yeah, good. <clears throat> so, and uh, so, Practicing with um, with you guys has been something that's that's really had a, a huge impact on my life. And are you able to kind of explain maybe some of the benefits that you've found from practicing regularly? Yeah. Um, so I practice on a daily basis. I it's the first thing I do in the morning. I get up and I meditate before anything else happens. Um, and I, I feel like that sets the day right for me. So whatever happens in the day, I've kind of got that as a, as a foundation already. Um, and that's become really important. So if that doesn't happen for some reason, I, I kind of feel a bit out of sorts in a way. Um, and I suppose, I mean, mindfulness has made such a massive difference to my life. I feel calmer, I feel happier, I feel, I feel um, through it and with it I've been able to really look at what I want to do um, in terms of my work and the way I want to live my life and just kind of bring everything into, into line so everything accords with um, my sort of values I suppose. Um, and, you know, mindfulness has been a massive, massive part of that. 
And I find um, one of the one of the, the the key things for me is as somebody who is is quite an anxious person, um, particularly uh, um, socially anxious. I find that it's something that's uh, allowed me to give myself permission to to feel that way. There, a lot of the time, the the difficulty that I had was was not necessarily with uh, just the anxiety. It was the second arrow. It was the you know the alarm bells are are going, and it feels like like uh, something something is wrong. And it's whenever you've been going through difficult times in your life, has has mindfulness been something that's uh, given you a, a, a sense of solace or, or something that you've been able to rely on? It it has. It really has. Um, and that's actually happened quite recently. I I've kind of got to the point where I felt like you know my life was fine. It was great. Um, and and actually, I, it felt almost like I didn't have a lot to work with in a way, which is is nothing to complain about of course um, but actually last year my sister was diagnosed with leukemia and that was such a big blow for the family um, and I, I I found that really difficult to um, deal with initially um, and there was there was also a sense of um, I should be able to cope with this because I meditate and I practice mindfulness. Mm. But there was all, there was the reality as well of you know I've this is was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me um, and to our family. And you don't know how to deal with those situations until you you're in it. You know you can't prepare for something like that. Um, but also that I I was able to kind of be aware of what was going on and really look after myself because of my mindfulness practice. So I, I, I noticed that my practice changed. I found it, sometimes I found it really difficult to just sit and meditate mm. because I just end up in tears. Um, so I, I, would, I did a lot of writing, which is something that has kind of, again, come in with practicing mindfulness anyway. But so, so something that I found quite an easy thing to relate to. Um, but just that sense of being aware of, you know, whatever's going on, it's okay. You know, there isn't a right or wrong. There isn't a should or shouldn't about this. You know, this is what you're feeling and it's perfectly natural. You know, when you love somebody and they're, they're really seriously ill, of course you're going to be upset about it. You know, that, that's quite natural and it's not wrong at all. Um, and so I think having that foundation of mindfulness really helped me kind of work through that um, and, and yeah just kind of get through it and the Sangha was really supportive in that as well um, you know there'd be times when I go to Sangha and I just sit and cry and I couldn't even speak because mm -hmm. I was crying but I knew that you know there was a, a supportive group who could just hold me and let me do what I needed to do um, and, you know, not ask questions or, you know, wait until I was ready to speak or able to speak. Um, and, yeah, so that it, that was, I think, the time when I really felt the importance of it um, more, more than any other time. I've really felt that benefit as well. And going through some difficult times, 
being able to share that with uh, with the sangha, being able to have that uh, have that heard, not feeling the pressure of you know are people going to respond to this or what are people going to think about what I'm saying, uh, just to know that people are listening has really made a huge a huge difference uh, to me as well. Um. So if you were thinking about um, parts of the different parts of the practice, what would you say are you know your your favorite parts, the part that brings you brings you the most joy? <laughs> That's quite difficult. Actually. Yeah, it is. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a good question to ask. Um, well, I think for me, it's it's just sitting, and 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 just allowing whatever's there to be there and, and kind of working with that so sitting with the breath um, and and being able to notice you know what's going on for me internally um, but there's you know there's so many other things as well I love mindful walking um, it, it actually took me quite a long time to get into mindful walking particularly doing it in the sangha where you're inside and you're just walking in a circle yeah. around the room, <laughs> you know. And there's so many times, that, you know, especially when I mean, you know, the room. Um, and if there was a lot of people, and you know, you'd you'd literally almost be walking on the heels of the person yeah. in front. And I'd find it so many thoughts. God, why are they walking so slow? <laughs> <laughs> Am I walking Can't too slowly? Am I walking yeah, too quickly? Exactly, all that. Um, and I, I, I think, again, you know, part of it was recognising that I don't have to like this. I don't have to love it. Um, but, you know, Ty says this is a really important part of the practice. And so for me, there's a kind of a trust and a faith of, well, if he says that, I'm just going to keep doing it until I can get to the point where I understand what he means. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like I have got there now. And I really, really enjoy mindful walking. Um, and I, you know, I know it's it's something that other people struggle with, but I think, you know, I can understand that now. So when I'm teaching mindfulness and someone, you know, says about questions about mindful walking, I, I really understand where they're coming from because I've been through that. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I, I do get that. But I think there is something quite, special and unique I think you know because it's not something you you meet anywhere else where you're you're walking really slowly really steadily but consciously with a whole group of people and you're not going you're not walking anywhere you know you, you haven't got a destination to get to you're literally going around in a circle um, and yeah I, I I find that um you know, often what start, when we start, there's, I'm aware of a lot of thoughts. And because of the time and the slowness of the pace, they just start to settle. And, you, and so I actually need that time. Mm. You know, we usually do it for about 10 minutes. And again, that used to be something that I'd be like, this is going on for it. <laughs> <laughs> when are we going to finish? <laughs> um, but, you know, now I've got to a point where I know I need that time to really let things settle. Um, yeah. <laughs> the 
that was the part. It's funny, uh, this was something that came up in the conversation with Mikey as well, the person that, that introduced me to the practice. And, and uh, I was saying to her that uh, the first time I, I, I came to Sangha, uh, I really enjoyed it. But it was whenever we got to the, the walking meditation <laughs> indoors, I thought, this is a bit weird. Yeah. What, what, what is this? And, and it does take you a little bit of time to get used to it. But actually uh, having a, a practice that allows you to really focus on what you're feeling in, in your body is a, is a great way to practice. And it's one of the most transferable practices as well, because you can take that anywhere, yeah. whether you're you know walking to the, the kitchen to get a cup of tea or walking out to get a sandwich, uh, which, which is what, what I do every day. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, and then it makes that so easy to then integrate the practice into your, into your day, uh, which is where, where you can really um, develop some of, the, some of the benefits from it. Yeah, and actually that was the, the thing that kind of sold Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings for me, was the, it's not just about sitting yeah. meditation, it's about what you do in the rest of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that you can literally do anything with mindfulness. Yeah. You know, I, it was a bit of a revelation when, you know, he has these four line verses called Gattas about that are to help remind us to be mindful and in all different situations. And there's one about going to the toilet, you know, wow. and you kind of think, oh, do, do I need to know about this? But no, actually, you know. You can be as mindful sitting on the toilet <laughs> as you can sitting on your meditation stool. <laughs> would it would it be terrible if I titled that as the uh, mindfully going to the toilet? <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> the, you probably no, we probably don't want to summarise the discussion and that. But that's the you know you have to title the podcast with something that grabs people's attention, and that was it. Just popped into my head. I, I won't do that. I won't do that. Um, but uh, just thinking about your your kind of perspective and and how you look at the world. So you've been meditating for a very long time. So I appreciate that um, that you know it's because I'm you know I haven't been practicing for so long. Uh, it it's kind of it may I find it quite noticeable how it's it's changing things because it's it's happening right now if you, if you like, but. Just, just thinking, thinking, uh, you know, over the last few years, is there any perspectives that you have about how mindfulness has, has changed how you look at the world? Hmm. In some respects, it's a bit difficult to say because, of course, it's like, you know, I'm experiencing it from the inside, as it were. But I think it, and, and I think also it's kind of a gradual thing. Hmm. And as you say, I have been <laughs> meditating for quite a long time. Um I think I, I notice it more when I meet people who who aren't practicing mindfulness and I kind of look and go, oh, you know, why why do they need to be so anxious about this or, you know, they're so worried about something and, and it makes me reflect on the fact that actually I I can let things go very easily. I I don't have a lot of anxieties about things. Um, you know, I mean, I've put things in place, like, for instance, I don't watch the news at all. I listen to it occasionally on the radio. Um, but I recognise that it doesn't help me to get involved with the kind of emotional aspect yeah. of all the terrible things that are happening in the world. Um, it doesn't do me any good and it doesn't do anybody else any good. 
So I, you know, there's things like that where I've, I feel I have a, a sort of a, a slightly different perspective on things where I can kind of step back and say, no, I don't need to engage with this, or I certainly don't need to worry about that. You know, this I have no control over. So yeah. actually, you know, there's no point kind of going over things. I mean, I, you know, I still wake up in the middle of the night sometimes with some those crazy thoughts going on. But at that point, fairly quickly, I'm able to say, you know, this is not helpful to me. What can I do to help myself get back to sleep, to calm down, you know, and usually it's focusing on my feet, you know, yeah. so I'll start a kind of a body scan, um, you know, but you start with your feet because it's furthest away from your head and your brain. Um, and so it draws your attention then away from all those thoughts that are they're just running, that are just there. And I, and I think also that aspect of seeing thoughts as just something that arises and passes, you know, this lovely analogy of, of thoughts being like clouds moving across the sky. Mm. And actually, if I'm the sky, I don't have to get involved with the thoughts. I don't have to push them away. I don't have to hurry them along. I don't have to do anything with them. I can just watch them come and watch them go. And I'm not getting involved with them. Yeah. It's funny, um, you mentioned uh, not watching the news or watching news less. That, that's something I've, I've started to do because in, at the end of last year, I found I was starting to become obsessed with kind of things that were politically, particularly on the political side and, and keeping up to date, you know, every, every hour with everything that was going on. But actually, as you say, these were things that I had no control over and were not having a good effect on my well-being. So having cut that right back, um, and it's time that you can use for, for other things and yeah, be in exactly. the present moment as well. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that we talked a little bit about uh, Be Can, Be Happy, because uh, for everybody listening, uh, it's a, a course that I can totally recommend. I was very lucky to have Laurie, as a, here comes a gushing again. Uh, I was very lucky to have Laurie as, as the, the facilitator of, of the course that I, that I went on. Uh, if I understand correctly, this is Be Can Be Happy is is available. It's not just in the UK; it's across the it's, it's across the world as well. Is it? Or? it? No, it isn't actually. Oh, it's, it's not. It's, okay. Well, it's UK based. UK based. So okay. it was developed by a UK Dharma teacher um, and a few um, uh, mindfulness practitioners in the UK, and the idea was um, because. Um, what she recognised was, you know, there's lots and lots of mindfulness courses, but there was nothing directly from Thich Nhat Hanh's tradition. And, you know, he's, he's been called the father of, of mindfulness, Western mindfulness in particular. Um, and so it just seemed really important and pertinent to write a course that was purely from his perspective and his teachings. And so that's how it came about. So it is UK based. Um, we have trained and are training people to offer the course in their local areas. Um, but what what has also happened is I've started teaching it on Zoom, hmm. and that has taken it international. Ah, okay. So people, you know, because it, as long as the time zone works, you can literally join in from anywhere in the world. So. Um, over the past few courses, I've had quite a few people from different parts of the world um, taking the course as well, which is really lovely, you know, so it's, it's um, yeah, been really interesting to, um, to take, to be able to offer that in that way, 
and it's just such a fantastic course. I was um, I was trained to teach MBSR, Mindfulness Based Stress Reduction, and that's a lovely, lovely course. But I slightly struggled with the fact that it's taught as a secular course, mm. and I had this, you know, knowledge and understanding from Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings, and so I, you know, I really wanted to kind of bring in the fact that it's not just secular. Um, you know, there's a, there's this great spiritual aspect to it, and then this opportunity came along to teach "Be Calm, Be Happy," and I just took it with both hands, really, because I was just so pleased. It, you know, again, it really accorded with with my heart and what I felt I wanted to do, um, where where I was going. Um, so I, now I've stopped teaching MBSR and I teach the "Be Calm, Be Happy" course. Um, in in several different formats, so I do occasionally teach it as a physical course uh, in uh, in my locality, but mainly I teach it on Zoom, and I also teach it as a weekend retreat, um, and it's it's just so beautiful, and it just takes you through so many aspects of of Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings. It's written really well, so it kind of leads you through the different aspects like sitting meditation, breathing. Um, walking meditation, eating meditation, um, speaking and listening mindfully. Mm. You know, there's so many lovely aspects of it. And, and also it kind of leads you to um, what you would expect if you joined a sangha or a, or a group um, or took part in a you know mindfulness retreat or, or whatever. So I, I just love it I think it's amazing um, yeah because it just introduces all these practices in a really lovely way I find it, it, is, a, it is a great course and uh, in the Warrington Sangha uh, which I belong to it was it was how we kicked off the Sangha yeah. and it's such a fantastic way to it's a great way to start your practice if you've kind of dabbled in it a little bit, it's a great way to, to kind of deepen uh, deepen your practice uh, as well. But um, we'll have uh, links to uh, the Be Can Be Happy course and the, the upcoming dates in the description of the, of the podcast. Mm -hmm. So if this is something that you're interested in, then uh, then uh, just just click through in the links below and you'll be able to find a course that's that's available for you. And the other thing that's available, of course, is the the um, the business you set up, the creative space. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So as I say, I was I was teaching MBSR, um, and and that and that was great. And then alongside that, I've always done creative things, li literally all my life. So I was taught to sew and knit by my grandma when I was very young. Um, my mum did calligraphy and so I started doing calligraphy and so I've always been interested in lots and lots of different craft things and one of the things I found from practicing mindfulness is that my interest and love of creativity grew because that those things are very mindful as well so it's very easy to you know to do some calligraphy excuse me <clears throat> uh, to do some calligraphy mindfully um, or one of the things I've got into doing now is paper collage. And again, I, you know, it's something I can be really mindful with. Um, and so I started working with a friend of mine who's an artist, doing day workshops on mindfulness and creativity. And we would do 
some practice in mindfulness, drawing and writing. And writing is another thing that's kind of really come out for me personally um, from practicing mindfulness. It wasn't something I sort of intended or looked for, but I suddenly found, well, in fact, I, we had a, um, a, a day of mindfulness with a, a friend who's a poet and he did an exercise on writing with us. And the first thing he said is you can write a poem about anything. And I felt like that blew my mind really because I, I, I was so interested and I was like, really, is that right? I need to find this out, check it out for myself. Um, and so I've started writing a lot of poems. Um, and then, as I say, I've, I've gone into other aspects now. I do a lot of paper collage and things. Um, and so what I found was that the, the mindfulness and creative aspects were coming much closer together. And so that was a, another decision when I stopped teaching MBSR was that I wanted to offer workshops and courses that are just mindfulness and creativity. So I do this alongside teaching Be Can't Be Happy. Um, so I have a, a studio space in my kitchen and I offer sessions. Some of, some of them are very simple ones. I do one called Come Play. And it's, it's just an invitation to be like a child again, you know, put aside your anxieties, your concerns, whatever's going on in your daily life and just spend a couple of hours playing around with some art and craft materials. So I have a whole array of all kinds of things, lino cuts and um, paper and prints and, and all kinds of things. And people just come and have a play. Um, and, and it's really lovely, you know, and especially I find for people who think they're not creative. Mm because I don't agree with that. I think everybody is creative. I think, you know, in the same way that, you know, we're naturally mindful as very young children. If you look at a, a young child, they're very mindful. They're very in the moment. But then as we grow older, we kind of learn other habits or we acquire other habits, perhaps I should say, that cover up that mindfulness. And then we suddenly get to adulthood and go, we need to learn mindfulness. <laughs> And it was with us all the time. Um, and, and I feel creativity is exactly the same. Um, you know, it's, it's the fact that we don't practice it. Um, you know, it might have been something you did at school and then as soon as you left school, you don't do anything artistic or creative ever again. Um, but fortunately, I think, you know, people are starting to recognise the fact that actually doing something creative is a, is a really good way of looking after your well-being. Um, and, you know, and that's something that is really important to me, um, which is why I've gone into teaching mindfulness, is um, that we need a balance in life. You know, often people are so busy kind of with their work and, and whatever that, um, you know, we don't, they don't, we don't give ourselves space and time to do things that nourish us, you know, and it doesn't matter what that is. It doesn't have to be creative. It might be going running or, you know, Jump, doing a bungee jump or something, <laughs> um, you know. But we kind of get in these sort of tracks of, you know, this is my work life, and um, you know, a, a few years ago, my daughter's a primary school teacher, and um, and she was working at a school where they needed a lot of um, data collection to support the teaching that she was doing. And, and she was. She really got to the point where all she was doing was working, mm. 
you know, she'd have a kind of 45 minute drive to work. So she'd be setting off very early in the morning. She'd come home um, and then she'd have work to do at home as well. And it was just so clear to me that her work-life balance was really out of kilter. And, you know, that's where something like mindfulness can really help and come in. Um, because it offers, it offers some balance there. You know, and it offers a, a different way of, of seeing things and a different way of looking at things. Um, and, you know, I mean, work's important, but it's not the most important thing, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny. Um, I always thought of myself as not, not a creative person. And uh, I just had this idea coming up to Christmas that I'd like to start to paint. And I got a set of water watercolour uh, paints. And uh, it's something... I don't think I'm going to change the world of art, but it is something that I really enjoy. Yeah. And uh, the kind of perfectionism that I used to have, which is, well, I'm not great at this, so therefore I'm not going to do it, seems to have receded to the point where I can just enjoy enjoy having a go at something. Yeah. And it's something, it's definitely a mindful practice because I do notice that lots of the churn that's going on in terms of anxious thoughts about the past or the future kind of fade away while I'm focusing on the wing of a bird or whatever it is that I'm doing. So yeah. it's something I could absolutely recommend to people uh, as, as a way to extend your, your practice. Yeah. You know, there's so much about um, being controlled by our thoughts. Um, you know, Rick Hansen talks about the negativity bias in the brain. And, and I seem to have been talking about this a lot recently. But I think it's really important to recognise that as a, as a survival instinct, we have this negativity bias. So when an idea comes up, you know, oh, I, I might do this, suddenly there's a whole host of, of mm. thoughts that say, oh, no, don't do that. It, you know, what if this? Or it might not be safe or, you know, whatever the reason is. And, you know, and, and just to be able to kind of step back and say, that's just the negativity bias. It's not necessarily true. I don't necessarily have to believe it. You know, I could just do this anyway. And, you know, for me, that's what mindfulness really is. And it's about, you know, trusting um, your kind of gut instinct, but also trusting that you don't have to know everything. You do, I mean, you know, we don't know from one day to the next, from one moment to the next, what's going to happen. You know, and again, that's something that really came up with my sister's diagnosis. You know, you kind of think your life's on this particular track and this is happening and then bam, you know, something major happens. And it obviously it doesn't even have to be something major to help us realise that we don't know what's going to happen. And actually, if we can just be open to saying, I'm ready for whatever there is, um, I find that brings much more kind of peace and calm. And, and, and you know, I'm not so, I'm not thrown then by what happens in life, mm. you know, when things, things happen. I can deal with them in a much more equanimous way. I really appreciate your time and thanks for thanks for talking to me. No, you're welcome. It's been a great conversation actually. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you for asking me.